welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about not all men so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Whiskey Beach by Nora Roberts. Joining us for the return of the Nora Roberts Book Club is Renata's mom, Susan. Hi, Mom. Hi, y'all. <laughs> um, you, you might remember my mom from previously she was on our Gossip Girl bonus episode that was brought to you by Patreon. And I, one thing has changed since then, which is if you listen to that episode, um, you can, like, a template for visualizing my mom is if you just think of Frankie from Grace and Frankie. And, you know. And uh, she did not take off any of her jewelry for the Gaza Girl episode because we did not think about it. And she wears truly an audible amount of jewelry. And so today she has removed it all just for you, podcast listeners. So... I mean, that's a really big sacrifice that she made to be here, and I just want to thank her for that. <laughs> also, because I think Rebecca would have murdered me if this hadn't happened. <laughs> it's a big sacrifice she made for you, Becca. For, for us all. <laughs> um, also, when, uh, you know, when we asked my mom, do you want to read a Nora Roberts book with us for the podcast? She said, why are you doing Nora Roberts again? Did you run out of books? And no, we didn't. Don't worry. There's still <laughs> there's still plenty of bad books out there. But, you know, this is coming out. This is kind of our Valentine's Day episode. Well, it's kind of Valentine's month is February. And we just thought, you know, we've all had such a hard year and such a hard winter. And we just really deserve to treat ourselves to a couple weeks of books that are good. Yes. So we're, we're returning to Nora Roberts, which we previously have read one Nora Roberts book for the podcast, which was Black Hills, which we loved. Yes. And, and we'll link to that episode if you missed it and you want to go back and, and check it out. Um, but it it truly... Um, and then the other thing, too, is like we both read that. And I don't, know, I don't know about you, Kate, but on the podcast, I was like, yeah, this is really fun. I really liked it. I would definitely read more Nora Roberts books. But then I never got around to it. I still haven't read any Nora Roberts books except the ones for the podcast. I did actually read a couple. Um, our guest for the next episode actually lent me a box of them because she's a fan. And I will we'll talk more about that probably in the next episode. Um, and I didn't read the whole box, but I did read a couple of them. And yeah, like it, I... I, I still refer to, like, in, I say this as if, like, we're, like, media darlings or something. Mm -hmm. There's been a couple times that we've been interviewed for things, and every time people ask, like, oh, like, what book were you most surprised, like, that, or what book did you like the most? And I still look to Black Hills as, like, the most eye-opening experience of the yeah. podcast, because I definitely went in expecting it to be, like, boring, gross, misogynistic garbage, and instead... Uh, I loved it. Because <laughs> the thing is, because the thing is, Nora Roberts has written over 200 books. And when you just think about how many she's written, you're like, well, if she's writing that many, like, that quickly, like, they can't be good. Like, you know, that's, you, you think it must be just like, she's going for quantity over quality. But I guess she's doing both? Yeah, and like... And I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more as we, we delve into the actual plot. Like, th these books aren't wonderful. They're not great from a technical standpoint or even from, like, 
an originality standpoint, they're pretty basic, but they are basic in an incredibly competent, incredibly satisfying way that just makes them delightful to read. Yeah. And now, Mom, I know um, you got introduced to Nora Roberts through our podcast, right? That is correct. So you're welcome. <laughs> and you went, you went and read um, more after that one, right? Yes, I did. I read several of them. And uh, she writes fat books and she writes skinny books. This is a fat book. And I think the fat books are much better than the skinny books. Yeah, so I haven't, like I said, I've only read these two so far. They're fat But I, I guess, yeah, there's some that are like, you know, romantic thrillers or romantic mysteries. Like this one was and Black Hills was. And those are longer, I guess, because you've got the mystery plot and the romance plot. And then what my mom calls skinny books, I, I think, are just pure romance without a B-plot. I would say that's true. And then there's when then we're not even getting into the J.D. Robb books. Yes. Which I think, I mean, I haven't read any of the ones that are just romance, but those I felt were similar to this, where there's, like, a relationship but also murder. Yeah, I think those might be, like... Murder A plot, romance B plot. Yes. And this was like romance A plot, murder B plot. Well, interestingly enough, I almost felt like it was opposite or that they were more even in this one. And I think that was because, and again, like I keep saying, we'll get into it. We talk about the plot, which we will, but... I liked Black Hills a lot, and I liked it even though it did some things I normally don't like in books, which was mainly that, like, it was a sort of, like, we hate, we loved each other, but now we hate each other, but maybe we secretly love each other again, kind of back and forth. Whereas this was much more my style, where it was, like, the man and the woman who both acknowledge that they have feelings for each other and then discuss it and then get together and then like talk through their relationship and have fights, but then communicate with each other to work through it and talk about why they're mad while also solving a murder or two. And that is, that's like my platonic ideal (laughs) (laughs) of how a book like this should be set up. And because of that, like, I felt like there wasn't as much like drama drama around their relationship. It it got established pretty quickly and then was sort of a constant and while like the growth of it and their concern for each other I uh, kept like that romance plot moving concurrently with the murder. Like I do feel like a lot of the emphasis was on the murder. I think so I like this one less than I like Black Hills and I think my mom put the finger on why, which is Eli the man is the narrator for most of it. Like, sometimes uh, Abra is the love interest, or, um, and she sometimes pops in and takes control of the narrative, but I feel like it's more centered on Eli, and who cares? <laughs> um, but I think it had to be... I think it had to be centered on Eli, because if we didn't have inside of his thoughts... Um, so, uh, maybe we... Whatever, we'll say one more thing and get into the plot. Like, Eli has been accused of murder, but since we're in his head, we know he's innocent, we know he didn't do the murder, and I think if we weren't inside Eli's head, then he'd be like, oh no, don't date a murderer. Like, he says he's not a murderer, but do you believe him? And, like, she does, and we do, just because we know, we already know that he is not a murderer. 
Although, it, yeah. you know, it could be a Gone Girl type situation, but I don't think Nora Roberts is going to do that to us. Yeah, and um, I think that's that's a pretty accurate summation of that. But let's uh, let's jump into what's going on. Up in Whiskey Beach. Oh, and by the way, uh, the why we chose this one, it's hard to pick because she has so many, but we went based off of... A, what ones my mom already owned on her Kindle created our shortlist, just for simplicity. And then we looked at all the ones that she had, which was a lot, by the way. And we picked this one because a lot of Nora's books are set, like, in Maryland. But this one said that it was set in Boston and the North Shore. And so we are like, oh, we live, like, near Boston. Like, I work on the North Shore. That'll be kind of fun and familiar, or, you know, or we can do some geographic nitpicking. Um, it's not really a huge part of it. It doesn't really matter, but that's how we ended up at, also, it just sounded nice. Like, it's very cold, it's winter, let's go to Whiskey Beach. Let's do it. Where it, it actually ended up being winter at Whiskey Beach while we were there, but we didn't know that at the time. Yeah. We were slightly, (laughs) we were slightly misled into choosing Whiskey Beach, but whatever, man. (laughs) And, and there's one interesting nitpick, I think, of the geography, which is that, there's a couple instances in the book where it's very unclear, like despite knowing like, okay, Whiskey Beach is on the North Shore and Eli's family lives in Boston. I kept going back and forth between thinking Whiskey Beach was on the North Shore and on the Cape because of how they refer to it. Like sometimes they say like, oh yeah, like up in Boston. And sometimes they say down in Boston. Yeah. if you are unfamiliar with the geography of Massachusetts, the North Shore is north and the Cape is south and Boston is in the middle. Well, and also, and also he says it's like a two and a half hour drive to Boston, which like that's very far North Shore. Like, is that like what's even up there? Yeah, I meant to actually check to see if that was a thing that you could do because easily, easily for the Cape. Yeah, because um, right you got to drive down the curly part. But Two and a half hours north of Boston. I think, aren't you in Maine by then? Are you even on the North Shore? Uh, let's see. Welcome to Worst Google Maps. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it doesn't matter. This is like such yeah. a, like, it doesn't really impact my enjoyment of the book at all. But it was something that was like, huh. And there was another part. Uh, no, you can't to, no. One, one hour, the furthest you can get is an hour. And then you're in New Hampshire. Okay. Oh, yeah, New Hampshire. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you're only in New Hampshire for, like, five minutes, and then you're in Maine. But Yeah, because I was going to say, like, it doesn't matter, but, like, for me driving north to work, like, I'm almost in New Hampshire, and I'm not anywhere near two and a half hours north. Yeah. Um, maybe which... he's counting a lot of traffic in that two and a half hours, though. Maybe. Um, so my other, that was another thing that made me think, like, I wonder if it's the North Shore or the Cape. Um, But then Renata pointed out there's a couple places in there where it almost sounds as if this book was supposed to be set in Maryland, like most of her books, Uh, which kind of led me to think that maybe in the first draft it was in Maryland and then she moved it to Massachusetts for whatever reason. Yeah, she was like, I got too many Maryland books. I got to set one in Boston just for all my Boston podcasters. Just shout out to them. Um, Yeah, because there's a part where... Um, They're talking about a character's children, and they've all moved away, and one lives in Portland, Maine, and they specifically say Portland, Maine, 
Um, Because if you don't say Maine, people assume Oregon. Um, But she specifically says Portland, Maine, Seattle, and D.C. And she's like, and so the closest kid lives in D.C., which is not true. Portland, Maine would be far closer. Unless you're in Maryland. Yes. Guys, I played a lot of Carmen Sandiego. (laughs) So, so yeah, I think that maybe... An earlier draft had set this in Maine, and when she moved it to Massachusetts, she chose the North Shore randomly, where actually she would have to make much fewer tweaks to how far away it was if she had chosen the Cape. But that's uh, that's a whole other... Oh, we should tell you what the book is about. Let's tell you what the book is about. It's about Whiskey Beach. It is about Whiskey Beach, uh, which is... Uh, on Whiskey Beach, we have Bluff House, which is a house up on a bluff. They, they're very good at naming things. <laughs> and Bluff House is owned by the Landon family, who owns the Landon Whiskey Distillery. So here, you're making some connections. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And Eli Landon is uh, the oldest son, I believe, of the remaining Landons. And he is returning to Bluff House, and he's very tired. And it's not until after he's like had some like internal angst and man pain that we discovered that the reason why he's so tired is that he used to be a lawyer and now he is unemployed because a year ago uh, or over a year ago, his wife was murdered and he was the one who found the body and the police were 100% sure that he did it. Because, uh, because Kate, his ex-wife, his his soon to be ex wife. Yeah, well, they, yeah, they were in the process of getting divorced, and so, and she was killed uh, a few hours after people saw him in public confront her about an affair that he had learned she had. Mm-hmm. And then he went back to their house because he knew in the divorce they were going to have to divide up some stuff, and he wanted to get a few pieces of like his grandmother's jewelry out of the house so they wouldn't have to like fight over it. Yes, and that's when he discovered the body. And uh, as the, like, clues of the case unraveled a year or so before this book, it became pretty clear that he would not have had time to do all of the things that he had supposedly done because he, like, spent some time gathering all of the things. And there was evidence that he had, like, been in other parts of the house first. And, like, when he punched in the alarm code and all of this other stuff. Yeah, he had to, like, go to the jewelry safe and get the jewelry and undo the thing and... And then do a murder. And who's got time for that? And, like, it gave him, like, a, I think a 15-minute window to put in the alarm code, come into the house, murder, change his clothes, murder his wife, change into his old clothes, call 911, and, like, do a bunch of other stuff. And it just wasn't feasible. But the main cop of this case, he still believes that Eli was the one who did the murder. Because his gut tells him, and a police officer always trusts his gut. Yes, and his gut has never been wrong before. Uh, So Eli is going back to Bluff House, where his grandmother Hester had previously lived, uh, to sort of get away from the city, get away from the media circus, and uh, kind of relax, and also watch over the house, because a couple months ago, uh, she fell down the stairs and... Uh, hurt herself pretty badly and was in the hospital and is now like recuperating and is in physical therapy and is staying with his parents and she really wants someone to be at the house and he loved the house as a kid it was his favorite place to be but his now dead wife like hated it and hated his grandmother so he hasn't been there in a long time and that's how you know she was bad 
Because she didn't like a grandma. Yeah. Fact. Yeah. A grandma who, like, loved him and, like, didn't like his, like, favorite place in the world and wouldn't let him go there anymore. Her name was Lindsay, by the way, the dead wife. Yes. Just because we'll probably mention Lindsay again. Dead wife. Um, yes. Yeah. So he gets to the house. And he's, you know, he's had some time in the car to, like, reflect on all this man pain and give us this backstory. And then he goes in the house, and he's not alone in the house, because there's a beautiful manic pixie dream girl in there. Yes, he he wakes up the next morning, and he sees, he hears music, but it doesn't sound like a radio. And he comes downstairs, and there's, like, a beautiful fairy-like woman dancing around in the kitchen, making with, breakfast. With her mermaid singing. hair. With her mermaid hair, singing along to the radio. And this is Abra Walsh, whose name is maybe Abracadabra. It is not clear to me. Yeah, I don't know if that was just like a nickname that people went based on just her given name of Abra or if her name is literally Abracadabra. I would believe it either way. Yeah, like the one thing that puts me off it is when we learn about who her mother is, but we'll get to that. Um, so Abra is this woman, she's a neighbor of Hester, his grandmother. She was the one who found Hester after her accident, and she like does some light housekeeping for Hester in addition to being a yoga teacher. Hester's in her yoga class, and a... And so is literally the, the entire town. A jewelry yes. maker. A jewelry maker. Jewelry yeah. maker. Yeah massage therapist she's studying acupuncture like she does everything she's an amazing cook mm-hmm. and by the way on on this salary she rents a three-bedroom waterfront cottage on the north shore i have uh, some ideas about that as well but we'll get to that when we discover who her family is oh that makes sense so he's like real put off by her at first um, and even more put off, like, when he goes around the house and there's all these little post-it notes with messages from his grandmother that she has delivered on her grandma- his grandmother's orders. Yeah, they're all signed, she- like, like, Grandma via Abra. Yeah. And he just wants to, like, sulk and be sad and be mad alone in his house. But, you know, this woman is here. Uh, and he doesn't want to like her, but of course, very quickly, he grows very fond of her, and they have, like, cute banter, and eventually they, like, sort of become friends, and he's very clearly into her, and she's very clearly into him. By the way, I, I also want to say I'm, I am aware that the term manic pixie dream girl is problematic and often used problematically, but at the same time, that just is, she just is one. Yes, and it's, and again, like, there's not necessarily anything wrong, I feel, with being a Manic Pixie Dream Girl, if you can back it up, which I feel like they do back it up. Like, she does have her own thing in the book, in my opinion. Yeah, like, she, she, she doesn't, yeah, like, I think the main, like, when you think of, like, uh, what's that Zach Braff movie? A Garden State. If you think of, like, Garden State, like, her whole thing is, like, just to cause him to have revelations, and, and like, she does have her own thing going, but she's very magical. Yeah, she does have that, like, very, like... I'm whimsical. Yeah, Let's do yoga on the beach. Let's have feelings. Yes. But, yeah, so, like, over time goes by, and, like, they kind of get into each other, and finally one night... Or no, before they get into each other, they're good friends, and they, like, there's some acknowledged sexual tension, but nothing has happened, 
and uh, he's in Boston visiting his family, and she there, a storm breaks out at Whiskey Beach. So she runs over to to Bluff House because she was there earlier and she thinks she forgot to close a window. And when she gets inside, the lights are off, which is weird because the lights weren't off at the house where she had been previously. It's like the power's out. Yes. And she goes in to check to see the windows. And on her way out, someone grabs her from behind. And luckily, in addition to knowing yoga... Uh, she taught some self-defense classes. So she does some quick self-defense stuff and runs out of the house and runs to her neighbor and has them call the police. And previously that day, a private detective had come to accost her to ask her questions about Eli. And the implication at this point in the narrative is that he was hired by Eli's late wife's family to dig up stuff on him and prove that he did it because they want to put a lawful death civil suit against him. So yeah, she, she gets uh, attacked from behind by this guy and runs out and the police come and they see that someone is broken into the house and Eli comes back up from Boston and they and, like, and he realizes like he's feeling so protective of her and so worried and and this kind of like drama it like you know obviously escalates their feelings yes and they almost have sex but they don't because they're like we shouldn't do this this is a bad time for it like they're, they're very mature th- adults about it yes which i was surprised with but delighted with at the same time and so because the power was cut they decide to go in the basement and start up the generator and while they're down there they find that someone's been digging like a very deep trench in the very hard rocky dirt of the the cellar like chest high yes when when you jump into it yes. and and they left like all their tools down there yes and it's clear they've been doing it for a while um and i think there's like some sort of isn't there, like, some indication that they were, like, getting in a back way or something to go into it? I don't know. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But, yeah, then we um, get some info dump about Esmeralda's dowry, which I think had been mentioned in passing before, but now yes. they're like, oh, somebody's in the basement looking for Esmeralda's dowry, which is, like, a legendary pirate treasure that Eli's been, like, reads these different stories about it and there's different like romantic versions of like a pirate fell in love with a girl but then the family wouldn't let the girl go or like or maybe it was this other guy and this other thing but the point is there's like some some treasure that's supposedly connected to Eli's family that some people like still think is is hidden and they want it yes so they start to think that like everything is connected especially when the uh private detective who had accosted Abra shows up dead and the cop who hates Eli in Boston comes out with a different local cop to interview him about this second mysterious death that happened in proximity to him. And right from the start, like we get like the Boston cop is like blinded by his conviction that Eli murdered his ex-wife and like obsessed with him. And we already know this guy has been like stalking Eli and 
like making life hell for his family and that's like one of the reasons why he came out to whiskey beach and we also get that this local or cop who i think is like a county deputy or something he's he's more by the book and he doesn't want to to implicate uh fucking what's his name eli in anything yet because he doesn't feel like there's evidence and he also doesn't think that eli killed his wife yeah, well, and he's also, you know, he's, like, from the small town of Whiskey Beach, and so he is like, well, you know, I know Abra, and she's, like, a good person, and I know she wouldn't be, like, friends with you if oh, you were... Oh, I was talking about Corbett. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, the the cop from Whiskey Beach, he also, he's friends with, with Abra, and he was friends with Eli when they were children. Vinny. Vinny, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Um, but there's like a, a county sheriff or something yeah. who's yeah, there he's too. Just, yeah, he's like he's like neutral. Yeah, and he just wants the truth. And he his gut tells him that Eli didn't do this, and he feels like the evidence points that way as well. So there's a lot of like mystery happening. Yeah, and a lot of like Eli goes back like hires his own private detective and a lot of like clue gathering um also we're getting some mystery pov from the killer which also happened in black hills where there's just yes. like a few pages where it's like well you know they were foiled this time but they knew they knew that eli was guilty and they were gonna find like make him pay or like whatever whatever anyway yeah. back to like abra making pasta yeah um, so we do, we get like a lot of like Abra being like hippy dippy and we learn her sort of whole deal, which was that um, she used to be a uh, marketing director for a big nonprofit in DC and like lived this corporate lifestyle and was m- married to or just dating. I think they think just dating. Yeah, this high powered lawyer who quickly became abusive. And when she broke up with him, he, like, stalked her and tried to, like, send her threatening messages at work. Yeah, like, tried to discredit her at work. Tried to make things hell for all of her friends and people who she was dating. And after she finally, like, her, she told her boss about it and he told his boss and, like, things started moving in the direction of finding this guy. Uh, he breaks into her apartment and he rapes her and, like, beats the crap out of her. Um, and he would have killed her, but her neighbors had heard her screaming and they called the cops. And uh, so she's, like, she came to Whiskey Beach to kind of recuperate because she felt like that life had never really been for her and now it really wasn't. And I was afraid that this was going to turn into, like, tragic backstory, like, over kill, but it really doesn't. In my opinion, at least. Like... Yeah, I think it, like, it makes sense. It's like, oh, that's why she learned self-defense. And, um... I don't know, and that... That's why she's kind of, like, embraced this sort of, like, doing what you feel like lifestyle because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow and we shouldn't put all of our energy into something that makes us miserable. Yeah. Um, but the other... The, the um, very white privilege thing that plays into this is that we also find out that her mother is a literal Nobel Prize winning... Uh, Human rights lawyer. Human, Human rights, rights lawyer. lawyer. 
So, yeah, like, I think that she can definitely afford to uh, make jewelry and teach yoga part time and clean houses because her mother is very famous and I assume very well off. I mean, the thing is, though, is that she does worry about money in the book. So I or maybe she's getting like maybe her mom pays a rent or something, but she's still like because there's a part where she goes and, like, buys some fancy wine glasses, and then she's like, ooh, now I don't, like, have enough money to buy new yoga clothes. Which, side note, I, uh, I made a revelation to my mom, because she was like, well, what, how much do yoga clothes cost? Like, $10? And then I showed her the Lululemon website, and she was like, what is this? Um, so now we know that some, there's some people that will pay over $100 just for leggings. <laughs> some people. Perhaps even Abra. Unclear. Yes. Anyway, yeah, so it's, for... it's a little ambiguous, I feel like. Because, yeah, like, her mom does have money, but Abra never makes mention of, like, oh, and just given how open she is about other stuff, I kind of feel like she would have been like, yeah, well, my mom pays my rent, so. But she doesn't Maybe. say that. Yeah, I don't but, know. But, I mean, she it certainly never... would have a safety net. Like, surely if, yeah. if something happened and she couldn't pay it, probably her mom could help out. Yeah. Um, so they start like trying to solve this mystery on their own. Um, because like now that, that Eli has been broken out of his like stupor and depression, he realizes that he can't just like sit idly by and wait for someone to prove him innocent. Like he has to take initiative and be proactive and do it himself. Mm -hmm. Oh, one other thing. Um, so the grandma Hester at first they just thought like she fell down the stairs just like she's an old lady she just fell and then she doesn't remember what happened because of the head injury from falling but Eli starts to think maybe she was pushed uh, maybe somebody else you know the person who who grabbed Abra when when she was in there maybe it was the same basement digging person who actually like attacked Hester and it wasn't just a fall yeah. And, and Abra supports this because Hester goes to her yoga class, so she knows Hester has really good balance. Yes. So they, like, do, like, dumb couple in love things, and there's a couple more times that people try to break into the house. And they uh, get, they a, get dog. a dog. <laughs> <laughs> this, by the way, the scariest part for me of this whole book was when we're in, we're back in the killer, the mystery killer's POV, and they're like, uh-oh, like, Eli got a dog. All right, well, I'll just, like, go and get some poisoned meat and take care of that dog. And I was like, oh, no, they can't kill the dog. But I also I also felt that Nora wouldn't really do that to us. And and she didn't. Don't worry. <laughs> but for a minute, yeah. I thought maybe. And I was really, really worried. Yeah, so uh, they do some digging, and they discover upstairs they're like cleaning out the upstairs because Hester the grandmother is like starting to feel better again and she feels like uh it's like late spring now Easter happens in here at some point yeah because like because like how Eli's reborn like Jesus (laughs) (laughs) um she feels like by the end of the summer she's going to be back in Bluff House but he wants to stay now, so he is thinking of, like, cleaning out the third floor and putting an office in there. And she also reveals to him that the old servants' passageways, which, again, like, they were mentioned in, like, the fifth page of the book, and I was like, these are going to come back. 
that even though she said she boarded all of them up, she actually kept like one passage open on the third floor and one in the basement so that you could move between them and had just put like heavy things in front of them so the kids couldn't find it. So they discover that A, if they go to the basement entrance of the um, secret passage, they can spy on where the hole is being dug without being seen because it's behind some shelving. One question I had, by the way, was why didn't they just put a camera? Like, I know they did have a camera, but why didn't they just put up a security camera? God only knows. I mean, because the Scooby-Douche is way more fun, I guess, is why. Yeah, yeah. But they never had... Because I would have bought it if they were like, oh, he would have seen the light from the camera and then he wouldn't have done it. Or, like, he would have cut the power. Or, like, there wasn't a good place to put a camera. Like, they never... I didn't think they did anything to address why not just have a 24-7 security camera. Yeah, who knows? But, yeah, so they... They while well, they find that in, on the third floor, and then also, but when going through some old materials and things that uh, substance oh, and old, storage, old up there. dresses, so that Abra can have a vintage fashion, uh, like dress up time, and they yes. find hidden in the back of a fashion trunk. Yeah, some letters um, written between one of the like, ancient generations of Landons and. Uh, a young man in Cambridge who's essentially saying like, oh, like, uncle, like, I know that you, you kicked my mom out of the family because she got, she got pregnant out of wedlock and ran off. But like, she's dying and her last wish is to see you again. And we're in like super debt. And like, I don't care if you love me or not, but like, I know you loved your sister. Like, why won't you help her? And a whole bunch of letters like that. And they also find... Uh, some ledgers from back in the day when the whiskey distillery was first starting that imply that like at one point around the time that the treasure was supposed to have disappeared a lot of money got funneled into the distillery to uh improve the distillery and add additions onto bluff house yeah and so so eli says oh like esmeralda's dowry is bluff house and abra's like what do you mean he's like Literally, they, they, like, cashed it out and built the house or, you know, fixed the house, which is yeah. disappointing for treasure hunters. But was, like, literally, like, my first thought when they started talking about it. I was like, why if, like, they found, like, this, this amount of money, why would they bury it in their basement and not cash it out and use that money to do things? And that turns out to be exactly what they did. <laughs> Uh, so they discover too around this time that um, the man that uh, Eli's wife had been having an affair with has bought property in Whiskey Beach, like not far from Bluff House, with like a a direct view across the beach to Bluff House. Yeah, totally normal. But um, he never like he apparently never comes and stays there. Like nobody in town really knows him. Just one other thing I wanted to mention is throughout this, Eli is working on writing a novel, and I just wanted to say that. Oh, yeah, that, that is also minorly important. But he, uh, the, they had looked at the, the man who his wife had had the affair with as a suspect in the murder, but his, the, the adulterer's wife, 
gave him an alibi and like said like oh no like he was home all night and she was so mad at him and upset by the betrayal that like the cops didn't think she'd have a reason to lie to protect him yeah and her story Um, hasn't changed yeah his name is his name is justin her name is eden just fyi And Justin, the killer, the mysterious killer that we've been seeing, spoiler alert, um, the entire time has been very adamant that Eli killed Lindsay, um, even as it's very clear he's doing all of these other things and that he had been in the house and that he had been the reason that Hester got injured and that he was doing the digging. Like, he remained very adamant that Eli killed Lindsay and Eli was a murderer. Yes. Um, So they eventually end up catching him in the basement by hiding in the secret passage and waiting till he came to do some digging after pretending they were going out of town with the dog. And they discover that he was the one doing the digging because he is a descendant of that... Violetta. uh, Yes. Violetta Landon. Uh, But he did not kill Lindsay. His wife killed Lindsay. And that's why she gave him an alibi because by giving him an alibi, she gave herself an alibi. Yep, and she and she had been friends with Lindsay, and she just felt, like, so hurt and betrayed that she went over. And, and that was the thing, too, is uh, Lindsay was, like, beaten to death with a fireplace poker, so it was, like, not premeditated, it was a crime of passion, and so that was what they thought, you know, why they thought it was Eli, was, like, he just was overcome with anger and, like, beat her to death or whatever. But actually, it was Eden who was, who was so overcome. Yeah, and that's, like, a thing that comes up constantly throughout the book is that whenever anybody, like, claims that they know he couldn't have killed his wife, it's, like, because you're not someone who, like, gets mad and lashes out in anger, and he always thinks, like, oh, like, but I have mean thoughts, so I could. And then the other person says, like, no, like, I know that you wouldn't. And he has this conversation with Avra. He has it with his grandmother. I think he has it with his parents at some point. He has it with, like, Avra's best friends who become his best friends. Yep. <laughs> there Every, are just yeah. people left and right ensuring this man that he could never lash out in anger. Yes. Um, yeah, and then they live happily ever after. Yeah. Oh, he proposes to her with one of his grandma's rings to Abra. And she, he's going to put an addition on to Bluff House so that she can have a yoga studio. Yeah. Or turn the attic into it? The third floor. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Turn, yeah. There's, by the way, there's a lot of, like, HGTV porn in this, too, of just, like, describing the house and, like, describing how he's going to remodel it and that kind of thing. Which I think is also one of Nora Roberts' things, is, like... Home improvement subplots. It doesn't do a lot for me, but I know a lot of people are very interested in, like, what houses look like. And there's this whole part where uh, the private investigator that Eli has hired to, like, reopen the case um, in his quest to prove that he didn't do it and find who did... Uh, shows up at the house and she's like, oh, like, I've seen this house in magazine spreads and, like, I love how they have kept, like, the original fixtures, but it doesn't look antique, like, it looks lived in and I love this and, like, goes on for, like, five paragraphs about all of this house stuff, which was kind of hilarious. Yes. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, overall... uh I've been trying to unpack this character of Abra, and I feel like the fantasy of Abra is, like, she is a person who 
you know, I mean, like, she does what she wants and she, like, really, truly enjoys, like, cooking and cleaning. And then she is so appreciated for all the work that she does. Instead of, you know, nobody, like, takes her work for granted, which I feel like those kind of tasks so often are. And this is a person who the entire town is like, oh, my God, Abra, thank you so much for, like, cooking this amazing food. And thank you so much for running these errands. And, like, and that's, like, her whole deal. And I think a lot of, you know, like, I don't know. Mom, do you want to speak to this? Yeah, it's odd because those are viewed as menial tasks. And she's an educated woman from an educated family with a professional career. And that, no, that's part of her past. But both she and Eli have beaten dog pasts. Mm -hmm. So that gives them that commonality to, you know, strive for, you know, because Eli was fired from being a lawyer. Mm Mm-hmm because of the murder garbage, and um, she was just literally beaten and needed a place to physically recover from all her stalking and stuff. So, um... Yeah, but yeah, I mean, more than recover, she, like, she has flourished. Yes, she has. Yeah, there was a lot of it that, like, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop and for it to turn into something that would push my buttons in a bad way. Like when she is talking about her past um, and talking about her assault and everything, it never then, I kept being afraid that it would like turn into her like being this broken thing and she needed him to put her back together and fix her. And it never did. Like she was, she'd very clearly come to terms with it. Like she had some lingering PTSD, but she was dealing with it in her own way and was like approaching Eli romantically on her terms um, because she felt that she was ready because she had done her healing already. Um, There's a part where the bad guy uh, tries to plant a gun in her house and she finds it and like immediately calls the police and the police come and like it's very clear from the outset that she that it was planted because it was done very sloppily. But she doesn't want to tell Eli at first because his whole family is visiting for Easter. So she keeps it to herself and he finds out anyway a couple days later. And instead of it being a big, like, you know, relationship ending, like, you don't even trust me. And like, how can I trust you? You're keeping things from me. They argue for a little while and then kind of calm down and talk about, like, why they're upset and why personally, like, they're seeing this what what their both of their points of view were and kind of agree uh to compromise and and move past it uh there's a part where he tries to be like you can't be here anymore because i can't put you in harm's way and she's like fucking bullshit like you know that's bullshit why did you even say that and he's like you're right i that is bullshit and i did know that as i was saying it so like in one way like i was very stressed <laughs> reading this because I kept expecting it to go differently than the way that I want it but it never took that turn I was afraid of yeah they're very they're very adult about it yes except for their scooby-doo approach to mystery solving yes which I'll 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 take scooby-doo when it comes to mystery solving I'm into that Um, yeah, the, and then the only other thing was, so, you know, Eli was a slayer. He'd written a few short stories, and then, yeah, Mom, do you want to talk about this? Because I know this yes, really was he'd your favorite. he'd written a few short stories. 
he was working on a novel and he had five chapters kind of polished up and decided he could send them to his agent. Yeah, which how did he, he even get have an agent? An agent yeah. with five barely written chapters that says, oh, wow, Eli, this is great. I think we can sell it. No, no, no. You wouldn't even get an agent. You'd be struggling forever to get somebody to read the entire book. The only thing I can think of, though, is if they were like, oh, yeah, like, he's con- he's accused of murder. We can use this, like, rip from the headline thing to, like, sell any, like, fucking garbage. But he never really seemed to have that impression. So I don't and know. I think at one point he says, like, he's known the agent forever. Mm. I can't remember if mm. it was because they had been his agent forever or just because he knew them. But it, I got the impression that, like, it was not a a murder thing. It was not a, like, even, like, even though I wish I could remember more about it. it whatever it was it did not give me the impression it was like oh this is a whole an old family friend doing me a favor it gave me the impression that this was a very nonsensical unrealistic yeah you know i mean maybe the thing is just that like nora roberts has forgotten what it's like to be a beginning writer and she's just like oh yeah and then you just send it to your agent and they're like great job nora yeah and i mean it could have been (laughs) totally different in like the 1980s the whole landscape could have been different when she last did this. Right. I was going to say this. No, this is from like 2014 or something. It's not like her newest one, but it's not very old. Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah, when she was starting for sure. Um. All right. Anything else we want to say about the general plot before we jump into dramatic readings? Mom, you got anything? No. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I again, I didn't like it quite as much as Black Hills, but perfectly perfectly good enjoyable read in my opinion all right so dramatic readings our first one is going to be pretty early in the book when eli first encounters abra and kate will be abra and i will be eli who is also uh narrating so he's he's in bluff house and he hears a sound and that's where we are It didn't sound like a radio, he realized as he approached the stairs. Or not just a radio. He recognized Adele easily enough as he moved through the main floor, but clearly heard a second female voice forming a kind of passionate and loud duet. He followed the sound, winding through the house toward the kitchen. Adele's singing partner reached into one of the three cloth market bags on the counter, drew out a small bunch of bananas, and added them to a bamboo bowl of apples and pears. He couldn't quite get his mind around it, any of it. She sang full out and well, not with Adele's magic, but well, and looked like a fairy of the long and willowy variety. A mass of long curls the color of walnut tumbled around her shoulders, spilled down the back of a dark blue sweater. Her face was unusual, was all he could think. Long, almond-shaped eyes, the sharp nose and cheekbones, the top-heavy mouth down to the mole at its left corner struck him as just a little otherworldly. Or maybe it was just his fogged brain and the circumstances. Rings glinted on her fingers, dangles swung from her ears, a crescent moon hung around her neck, 
and a watch with a face as round and white as a baseball rode her left wrist. Still belting it out, she lifted a quart of milk, a pound of butter from the bag, started to turn toward the refrigerator, and saw him. She didn't scream, but she did take a stumbling step back and nearly bobbled the milk. Eli? God, you scared me. You aren't due until this afternoon. I didn't see your car, but I came in the back. I guess you came in the front? Why wouldn't you? Did you drive up last night? Less traffic, I guess, but crappy roads with the sleet. Anyway, here you are. Would you like some coffee? She looked like a long-legged fairy, he thought again, and had a laugh like a sea goddess. And she'd brought bananas. He just stared at her. Who are you? Oh, sorry. I thought Hester told you. I'm Abra. Abra Walsh. Hester asked me to get the house ready for you. I'm just stocking the kitchen. How's Hester? I haven't spoken to her for a couple of days. Just quick emails and texts. Abra Walsh. You found her. Yes. Horrible day. She didn't come to yoga class. She never misses. I called, but she didn't answer. So I came over to check. I have a key. I cleaned for her. I came in the back. Habit. I called for her, but then I started to worry maybe she wasn't feeling well, so I walked through to go upstairs. And she was lying there. I thought, but she had a pulse, and she came around for a minute when I said her name. I called for an ambulance, and I got... And I got the throw off of the sofa because I was afraid to move her. They were quick, but at the time it seemed like hours. Counter or breakfast nook? What? Counter. She set the coffee down on the island. That way you can sit and talk to me. When he just stared at the coffee, she smiled. That's right, isn't it? Hester said a dollop of cream, no sugar. Yeah, yes, thanks. So... That's, that's Abra. She knows just how a man likes his coffee. Yes. And she looks so very much like a fairy. All right. <laughs> um, next up, we're, we're returning to the kitchen of Bluff House, but um, further on after they've gotten to know each other. And um, let's see. They Eli had just gotten some kind of upsetting news. Oh, the, the cops had just come and searched the house. And once again, um, Kate will be Abra, and I will be Eli. She worried how she'd find him. Depressed and brooding? Angry and dismissive? Whatever his reaction, she couldn't blame him for it. His life had been disrupted, again, his morality questioned, again, and his privacy shattered, not only by the police, but by people like Heather, again. She prepared herself to be understanding, which might mean firm and matter-of-fact, or supportive and sympathetic. She didn't expect to find him in the kitchen, working at a cluttered island with a look of exasperation on his face and a bulb of garlic in his hand. Well, what's going on here? Chaos, which is apparently what happens when I try to cook. She set aside the plate of brownies. You're cooking? Try is the operative word. She found the trying both sweet and positive. What are you trying? Some chicken and rice thing. I got it off the internet under cooking for morons. She came around the island, studied the printout of the recipe. Looks good. Want some help? Since I qualify as a moron in this area, I should be able to handle it. Great. Mind if I get a glass of wine? 
Go ahead. You can pour me one, too. In a freaking tumbler. Though she found cooking relaxing, she understood the frustrations of the novice, or very sometimes cook. What inspired this domestic bliss? She asked as she got out the glasses. Wine glasses, despite his comment. His eyes narrowed as she slipped into the butler's pantry for the wine. Are you looking for a kick in the ass? Actually, I'm looking for a nice Pinot Grigio, she called out. Ah, here we go. I hope I'm invited to dinner, she continued as she brought the bottle back to the kitchen. It's been a while since anyone's cooked for me. That was the idea. Is 911 on speed dial? Yes. She gave him a glass and a friendly kiss on the cheek. And thank you. Don't thank me until we rule out kitchen fire and food poisoning. Willing to risk both, she sat on a stool, enjoyed her first sip of wine. When was the last time you cooked anything that didn't come out of a can or a box? Certain smug people smirk at food from cans and boxes. We do. Shame on us. He turned his frown back on the garlic bulb. I'm supposed to peel and slice this garlic. Okay. When he just stared at her, she shifted, picked up the knife. I'll demonstrate the procedure. She tugged off a clove, held it up, then, setting it on the cutting board, gave it a kind of smack with the flat end of the knife. The peel slid off, easy as a stripper's breakaway. Once she'd sliced it, I missed that the first time I read this. <laughs> that was why I picked this part. <laughs> <laughs> Once she sliced it, she handed him back the rest of the bulb and the knife. Got it? Yeah. We had a cook when I was growing up. We always had a cook. Never too late to learn. You might even like it. I don't think that's going to happen. But I ought to be able to follow a recipe for morons. I have every faith. He mimicked her slicing procedure and felt marginally more hopeful when he didn't cut off a finger. I know superior amusement when I'm standing in it. But it's superior and affectionate amusement. Affectionate enough, I'll teach you a trick. What trick? A quick and easy marinade for that chicken. Fear and loathing of the very idea echoed in his voice. It doesn't say anything about a marinade. It should. Hold on a minute. Rising, she went to the walk-in pantry. It gave her a jolt, seeing everything mixed up, out of order, jumbled. Then she remembered the police. Saying nothing, she picked up a bottle of liquid margarita mix. I thought we were drinking wine. And so we are. The chicken's going to drink this. Where's the tequila? She laughed. Not this time. Although the chicken I use for tortilla soup drinks tequila, but this one just gets the mixer. She got out a large bag, slid the chicken inside, dumped the liquid in with it, sealed the bag, turned it a few times. That's it? That's it. That's all. That part should have been for morons. I could have done that. Next time you will. It's good on fish, too. Just FYI. Cooking tips with Abra. <laughs> that sounds gross, though. I mean, I was thinking about it, and it doesn't sound, like, much different than some, like, lime marinades I've made for chicken. Yeah, I guess that's probably and true. she makes a big point about a box cooking and can cooking while using a bottle of pre-made margarita mix. Doesn't that fall into can cooking? Mm, great point, Mom. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, she should just have, like, limes in her pockets at all times. 
Well, whatever. They enjoyed it. <laughs> All right. And then um, our last dramatic reading is, you know, throughout the book, Aber knows he's a writer. She's already read his short stories, and she keeps wanting to read part of the novel. And uh, finally, he gets. she gets her wish. And we're going to mix up, and I'll be Abra, and Kate will be Eli, slash the narrator. Oh, and I don't think it's a, it's alluded to. She has insisted that he give her one of his ties, because he brought so many ties and he doesn't wear them, and it's like some symbolic gesture that she has. he has to give her a tie. Yes. All right. She'd tell him it was good, he thought, as he tried to decide what scene to give her. She'd lie. He didn't want her to lie. He wanted it to be good. Oddly, he realized that he knew just the scene for her to read, one where he could use her feedback. He scrolled through the manuscript, found the pages. Before he could change his mind, he printed them out. Don't be a pussy, he ordered himself, and took them and the tie downstairs. She sat at the counter, one bare foot rubbing the flank of the dog that was sprawled on the floor, and wore glasses with bold orange frames. You wear glasses. She pulled them off like a dirty little secret. Sometimes for reading, especially when the print's small, some of this is really small. Put them back on. I'm vain. I can't help it. He set the pages aside, took the glasses, slid them back on her nose. You look cute. I thought going for punchy frames would make a difference, but I'm still vain and I still hate wearing them. Just for reading sometimes, and sometimes when I'm making jewelry. The things you learn. Really cute. She rolled her eyes behind the lenses, then took the glasses off again when she spotted the tie. Nice. She said, taking it from him, then wiggled her eyebrows when she saw the label. Hermes. Very nice. The ladies at the consignment shop are going to be very pleased. Consignment shop? Well, I can't just toss it. Somebody can use it. He looked at it as she hopped up to tuck it into her bag. Can I buy it back? With a laugh, she shook her head. You won't miss it. Is that for me? Yeah, one scene. It's just a couple pages. I figured I'd get it all over with at once, like ripping off a bandage. It's not going to hurt. It already does. I don't want you to lie to me. Why would I lie to you? He snatched up the pages as she reached for them. You're a born nurturer and you're sleeping with me. It goes against the grain for you to hurt anyone's feelings. You won't hurt my feelings. And that's a lie. But I need to know if it works or if it doesn't, even if it hurts. I won't lie to you. Take your mind off what I'm doing and load the dishwasher. She propped her feet on the second stool and since they were right there, put on her glasses. After peering at him over the pages, giving him a shooing gesture, she picked up the half glass of wine she'd been nursing and read. She read it twice, saying nothing as the dishes rattled and the water ran in the sink. Then she set the pages aside, took off her glasses so he could see her eyes clearly. She smiled. I would have lied a little. The kind of thing I consider a soft lie, because it's like a cushion. It gives a soft landing to both parties. A soft lie. Yeah, I can usually manage those guilt-free. But I'm really glad I don't have to lie, even with a soft one. You gave me a love scene. Well, yeah. There was a reason. I haven't written many of them. Could be a weak spot. It's not. 
it's sexy and it's romantic. And more, you showed me what they're feeling. She laid a hand on her heart. I know he's bruised here again. She wants to reach him and she so much wants him to reach her. I don't know all the reasons, but I know this moment mattered to both of them. It's not a weak spot. He didn't expect to find her. I didn't expect him to find her. She makes a difference in him, in the book. Will he make a difference in her? I hope so. He's not you. I don't want him to be, but there are pieces. She's not you, but I'm pretty sure she's going to wear orange-framed reading glasses. Ha! My gift here literally au revoir. Is that how you say that word? I think so. We'll go with it. Your literary au revoir. I can't wait to read it, Eli, from start to finish. It'll be a little while yet. I couldn't have written that scene three months ago. I wouldn't have believed it, and I couldn't have felt it. He walked to her. You've given me more than reading glasses. So romantic. (sighs) All right. Uh, Let's play some Would You Rather now. Let's do it. All right. I'll ask, um, would you rather run your own big cat preserve, like the heroine of Black Hills did, or your own yoga studio, like Abra does? Uh, I would run my own yoga studio because A, it seems like a lot less work and B, it feels like there's a lot more money in it. Mm, Solid point. How about you, Mom? I'll go with the cat preserve. I'm not that flexible. Mm -hmm. You know, that would be too physically... I'm too old to bend like that and, you know... Hester does it, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Yeah, but no, I'd rather be with the cats. That's more more, more my interest. Yeah, same. Big cat preserve, and I'm going to soul bond to a cougar, and it's going to rule. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about, would you rather read Eli Landon's romantic thriller or read a sequel to Whiskey Beach? Which doesn't exist, by the way, but the, a hypothetical sequel to Whiskey Beach. Um, I think it would depend on what the sequel to Whiskey Beach was about. Because like I said, like my, this was sort of my platonic ideal. And I feel like maybe his book wouldn't necessarily be. Um, But, you know, an established relationship like mystery is my jam. So I'm going to go with the sequel to Whiskey Beach, which is a gamble, but. At least it's not written by a man. Yes. What do you think, Mom? Well, I think I'd go with Eli just to change it up a little. I've read quite a few Nora books. Mm. Fair. And it did sound like he was kind of fictionalizing his relationship with Abra into it. So it might just be kind of like reading Whiskey Beach again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'll take the sequel to Whiskey Beach. um, And I hope it's about bitchy yoga Heather. Oh, that would be good. <laughs> we'll, we'll send Nora an email. <laughs> All right, last up. Would you rather eat one of Abra's home-cooked meals or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the restaurant from Christian Mingle the movie that only serves steaks and cakes? <laughs> I don't know why it's funny every time. Um, 
obviously, obviously would not abandon our beloved sponsor. Uh, I think Abra's food sounded really good. Uh, and she seems like she has like a very varied sort of skill set. But, you know, sometimes you just want a full size cake and a full steak. <laughs> or or just a cake. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I'm taking. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Mom? Well, I like to be waited on, and if uh, Abra was feeding me, I'd feel, like, compelled to help her with the dishes or something. So I'd much rather eat out. All right, we'll see you at Steaks and Cakes. Yep, I'm going to have a big um, tenderloin steak wrapped in bacon. (laughs) I don't think they do that. I think just steak. (laughs) Oh. Oh wait, maybe I would rather eat the same, bro. <laughs> I, I just yeah, I bro. wouldn't count on them having a second meat in the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> but you, I mean, you could ask. <laughs> or BYOB, bring your own bacon. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thanks for playing. Would you rather? We'll move on now to our reader's advisory where we suggest books to read instead of or in addition to this one. Um, there's like literally more than 200 Nora Roberts books. If you liked this book, you should read some of those, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mom, I know you read a bunch. Do you have any particular favorite Nora books? No. Um, <laughs> I like, well, I like the one about the cats, whatever that Black Hills one was. Hell yeah. That was that was a little bit better. This one was okay, but I have some I liked a lot less. Um, like there's a trilogy of the McCade brothers, not so good. You know, I I I like this one okay, but I did like the Black Hills better. And I think part of it, too, is Nora Roberts is such a dog person, and her books are usually like very dogs. But Black Hills was cats, and my mom and I obviously are cat people so that one really spoke to us yeah so nor like we're mostly not that equipped to be nora roberts readers advisors just you'll find them you'll like them uh my one thing i wanted to throw out was the book everybody yoga by jessamine stanley um which is you know a book about yoga and uh yoga poses and she herself is a fat black woman who does yoga and there's a lot of photos of her doing it because there is this kind of perception that like yoga is just something for like skinny white people even though like it's not even from you know it's from indian tradition but like it has this kind of reputation of like only certain types of bodies can do yoga and that's not the case and so that that's a really empowering book if you are interested in yoga Hmm. which abra is (laughs) Yeah, I think we can kind of wrap this up. It's just Nora Roberts. Just, just dig in. More, more Roberts. Yeah, yes. do, do yoga if you feel like it. Put your chicken in margarita mix and read a Nora Roberts book. Great. And also, I I would add that I read a book by Jennifer Weiner, and it's her memoir, mm-hmm. and she talks about. You know, she went to Princeton to learn writing. She went, um, when she finished her book while she was in school, you know, um, how she wrote all these letters to agents and the trouble she had getting an agent. 
And after reading that, that's that's why it just still kind of grated on me that Eli, rich or not, he had an agent and an unfinished book. So specifically, you're recommending that just to like sh- shove it in Eli's face. Eh, maybe. <laughs> okay. Uh, listen, we're all about spite recommendations. Yes. But it's a good book, though, too. Yeah, yeah. It's just totally different than this kind of book. All right. We'll put that out there. Uh, so you can see that list on worstbestsellers.com or just, just go to Nora Roberts' website, maybe. Whatever. Uh, now it's time for a candy pairing where, like, Abra will suggest a fine wine to go with her chicken. will suggest a candy to go with this book. Um, I'll start. I have chosen Gibraltars, which are a regional candy that uh, I think is most famously made in Salem, Massachusetts, but it's like a North Shore tradition, and it's basically just like hard candy. So it's like, it's it's fine. Like, I'm not going to say no to one. I'm not necessarily going to seek it out. And that's how I feel kind of about this specific Nora Roberts book is like, this was good. I liked it. And then it it's sort of tenuously connected to the North Shore of Boston like this book <laughs> uh my candy pairing was uh cinnamon toast because um like this book there's nothing about cinnamon toast that is at all fancy or special it has no nutritional value uh but it is a solid predictable comfort food that uh i'm real into so <laughs> all right mom what you got I would say defective Snickers. <laughs> um, you know, one that's like missing the caramel layer a little bit. Um, Nora can write. Uh, she's written books I like better, some worse. But uh, good escapist fiction and Snickers are a good common candy. Nothing too fancy, as in Snickers are good, but no Lady Godiva or Turtles or exotic handmade stuff but still reliably good Nora and Snickers are not works of art. But even without the caramel, still pretty good. Eat or read. You know, and maybe the caramel had to go over to the Christmas caramel murder. That's that's why it's not in the Snickers. Uh, All right. So now it's time for the rock, paper, snicked. Or as my mom called it this morning, the rock, paper, snicket. And I think that would be good if one time instead of Wolverine, we put lemony snicket. (laughs) But uh, actually, I have prepared Wolverine today, so it's not that. Um, Just a quick recap. Mom, do you know who the rock is? Um, Yeah, that guy in the movies that used to be a wrestler. Yeah. Okay, do you know who Wolverine is? The one with claws. Yes. Okay, great. So we're all on the same page. And so uh, uh, Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be. And uh, Mom, you choose which one would most enhance the book. Mm. Or you can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. Okay. So uh, Kate will go first with the Rock. All right. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, he'd basically just be Deputy Corbett or whatever his rank was. And that was the um, county uh, police officer who was like very like by the book and like really just wanted justice uh, and was not biased like the Boston police officer was biased against Eli or like sort of biased towards Eli like the local um, Vinny, the local cop was. Um, and the book would largely play out the same way, because like I said, I did generally like it, 
Um, except there would be lots of extra added scenes from Corbett's point of view. And then maybe he'd like have a romance with the barkeep at the restaurant where Abra works. Cause she's also a waitress. I think we forgot to mention that. Um, and of course that barkeep would be played by Hugh Jackman or actually be Wolverine at his night job while he's up on the North shore in his seaside sadness cave. Oh, give it to me. All right. Well, <laughs> if Wolverine were in this book, um, I think he would be like war buddies slash drinking buddies with Stony Tribbett, who is an old man who hangs out at the bar where Abra waitresses and Eli drinks with him one night and he can drink a lot, Stony Tribbett. Uh, so I think Wolverine would really admire that about him. So Wolverine would be visiting Whiskey Beach to hang out with Stony. And uh, while while he's hanging at the bar, his superhuman senses would let him, you know, he would he would realize that Kirby Duncan, the private detective, is about to be murdered in Whiskey Beach. So he would be able to intervene and and save save Kirby and catch Justin. And then once he's caught, I think he would kind of confess and the mystery would get wrapped up a little bit sooner. And then uh, Eli and Abra can move on to their romantic afterlife much quicker. And Stoney would have a friend who could uh, who could be like his designated driver and drink with him. Mm. All right. So, Mom, what do you think? Uh, I think leave it alone. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. You're choosing paper. That's fine. Yep. Leave it alone. That's that's rare but acceptable and I think it's very fitting for Nora Roberts. Yes. And it still leaves us free to write our non-canonical fan fiction. Yes, always. <laughs> All right, what do you guys think the moral of the story is? Um, I say that the moral of the story is that like all things in life, a solution to a good mystery is often a compromise. Like maybe not just the jilted lover, but the jilted lover and the jilted lover's wife. Uh, so yeah, compromise. Mm. Mm. My moral of the story is life is easier when you have a housekeeper and massage therapist. Mom, what's your moral? Well, I think... That no matter how beaten and used and mistreated you are, your painful past can be surmounted if you work really hard on yourself to make a new life for yourself, doing what you like, what you want to do, yada, 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 and um, then you'll be rewarded. You'll get the rich, handsome prince and or a supportive, beautiful princess. Sounds about right. All right, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will give his two cents about this book. (coughs) Duarte, look, you're right. I don't know. I don't know why they got a dog instead of a cat to watch over the house. Because I know you are a very good watch cat. And I think, I think you would have fit right in in Bluff House. But you got to keep in mind, Duarte, if it had been a cat, like, imagine those, like, really tense, like, hundred pages where you were afraid that uh, Justin was going to poison the cat. Like, that's very stressful. So you are actually avoiding that stress. It's tr- I mean, I'm still recovering from warrior cats. So th- I, oof, it's really tough. 
But Bluff House is really big. They probably could have had a dog and a cat, honestly. Maybe they'll get one in the sequel. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks always for your opinion, Duarte. And now, do any humans have any closing thoughts? Uh, this was my jam. And I'm glad we read it. And yeah. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day, best listeners. We hope you we hope you enjoyed this romantic thriller. And even if yes. you didn't, we did. <laughs> uh, Mom, any closing thoughts? Mm, I don't know. Um, you know, the Esmeralda's dowry and all that. And obviously they spent the money building up the house. There's not really any treasure chest of pirate jewels. But I do think that... Um, when Eli finally gives um, Abra a engagement ring, it just happened to be his grandmother's emerald, which in my mind came from the pirate's treasure. Oh shit! Yeah, Esmeralda. Oh, yeah, I like that. Esmeralda is emerald. Oh my god! In Spanish, yes. Ooh, the the real Esmeralda's dowry was the. Was the engagement the... ring we got along the way? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and the relationship and the love and all, you know. Yeah, I was going to say the fiancé we got along the way. Oh, but... that would be better. You, I, I stepped on it. You were right. That one would have been funnier. I was trying to remember the word fiancé. So. Okay. <laughs> Here we are. Uh, okay. Well, if you, if you want more slowly delivered insights from us, you can... Uh, follow us on Twitter, where we're a worst bestseller with no S, because, of course, the S is buried beneath a mansion in the North Shore. It's going to take some time before we can find it. <laughs> uh, you can also like us on Facebook, where we're facebook.com slash worst bestsellers with an S, because Facebook gives you more letters to use. Uh, we have a Goodreads group that is best ex- accessed by going to worstbestsellers.com. And clicking on the link, uh, we've got some good good chats going on over in the Goodreads group sometimes. You can subscribe to us on uh, Stitcher or iTunes or Google Play. Uh, and if you do subscribe to us, please rate and review us. It uh, pops us up a little bit in the charts and makes it easier for people to find us. Uh, if you don't rate and review us, we're going to tell some like weird, mysterious dude with like no identifying narrative features that you committed a murder and have him like stalk you low key with unidentified. Uh, this is really this just spiraled out of my control, so I'm just going to end it here. Like just fucking <laughs> review us. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, oh, you can also s- no, no, don't even joke. <laughs> <laughs> You can also support us on Patreon. Um, you know, after I, I swore at you just then. Um, at we Patreon. Dot- <laughs> at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers. Uh, you can pledge a small monthly recurring donation. And in exchange, you get some cool perks. And... Uh, we get some money to do things like hire our editor and uh, buy new equipment and do all sorts of other cool stuff. And commission uh, our of- Rock Paper Snicked logo. Yes, um, which was what I was about to say is one of the things that we did was commission um, the new logo that we have for the website and the Rock Paper Snicked logo, both of which, along with other products, are now available in our merch store. 
which you can access at redbubble.com slash people slash worst bestseller with no S. Uh, And there's a whole bunch of stuff up there. And if there's any design that you see uh, that you would like on something that it's not already on, uh, let me know and I'll see what I can do. Oh, that reminds me. My mom wanted worst bestsellers magnets. And I wasn't sure if magnet was a thing that Redbubble offered. It is not, but we can see what happens. We'll we'll put it on our list. Yes. Um, all right. And then if you want just some more of like my personal nonsense, you can follow me at Renata Snacks on Twitter and also at Renata Snacks on Instagram, which is mostly pictures of Duarte, which some people are into. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at 14across. Um, my mom doesn't really use social media that much, but if you want to tell her anything, you can tweet it at me and I'll read it to her on the phone. Uh, thank you, mom, so much for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks. We're continuing our Nora Roberts book club with Angel Falls by Nora Roberts. Oh, I haven't read that one. I can't wait. We'll tell you all about it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. Adios. Mm